Alright, so good evening everyone. So you know what, actually I have some source sheets, so maybe we'll just take this Thank you so much. Alright, good evening everyone. It is uh, an incredible source to be able to share some words of Torah with you. I think this is the first time that I've ever been invited to give a talk of Chizuk for Tu B'Shvat. It's, uh, but the truth is, Tu B'Shvat is definitely one of those incredible days that is often undervalued. First of all, I have to say, the uh, little pekalach that you have for the fruit over here is very impressive because I remember as a kid, Baksham times have changed. For Tu B'Shvat, you used to get a brown paper bag with something that was supposed to be fruit. It was often boxer that was recycled from the previous year. And I always thought to myself, Tu B'Shvat, which is supposed to be a day which is supposed to engender love and connection to Eretz Yisrael, to the Peros Eretz Yisrael, yet very often the offerings left much to be desired. But it's quite beautiful to see that the beauty of Eretz Yisrael is coming out in these little packages. So I want to share with you just an interesting idea. Because as I mentioned before, you know, I often find that in Yiddishkeit, we have two different kinds of Yamim Tovim. So we have Yamim Tovim, <clears throat> whose symbolism and importance is clear. Do you need more? Good? Okay. So we have, we have Yom Tovim, whose symbolism and importance is clear. So right, give me an example of a Yom Tov that has a clear and apparent symbolism. Pesach. Good. Pesach. Simple one. Right? Titsiyas Mitzrayim. Clear. And the truth is, when you go through, obviously, the biblical Yamim Tovim are obvious. Right? So Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkis are all connected to particular events. But the truth is, even when we get into Yamim Tovim that are Dirabanon, they also have clear, they also have clear ramifications. Hanukkah, Purim, all linked to miraculous events. But then we come to Tu Bishrat. So remember again, if you take a look at number one, so let's start with the, with the halacha. So the Shulchan Aruch says, what does the Shulchan Aruch say about Tu Bishvat? One simple halacha. Noagu shalolipal al pinehem b'tu bishvat. And this is the only halacha in Shulchan Aruch concerning Tu Bishvat. Only halacha. What's the halacha in Shulchan Aruch? We don't say tachnun on Tu Bishvat. Now, just as an aside, when the halacha tells you that you don't say tachnun on a particular day, what does that tell you about the day? That there's an element of simcha. Right, remember again, Tachnun is a supplicatory prayer that has a strong element and tone of tsar. Vayomer David al Gad tsar li ma'od. Ultimately, Tachnun is the two. Remember again, we do Nefilas Apayim, Nefilas Apayim, which is the closest that we come to prostration outside of the Beis HaMikdash. And it's a tefillah that really captures pain. And captures difficulty and captures anguish. And so any day where there is an element of yantiv, we don't say tachanun. So I just want to be clear. All the Shulchan Aruch tells us about Tubishvat is that we don't say tachanun. So of course what we glean from that is therefore Tubishvat must be what? Must be what? Right, a day of simcha. Now how much simcha? Again, the truth is, you don't need a lot of simcha to get out of tachnun, right? You only need a little bit of simcha to get out of tachnun. But nevertheless, the fact that we're not saying tachnun on this day tells us that at the end of the day, this is a day of some degree of simcha. So the Mishnah says in number two, Tu Bishvat, Ilanos. Why is there an element of simcha on Tu Bishvat? Because it is the new year for trees, Ashkenazim Laharbos Az Peros Shel Ilanos. And the Ashkenazim, I don't know why this is only Ashkenazim and Atzfardim, but the Ashkenazim customarily eat Peros Ha'ilan. It's interesting. Mishabura doesn't say anything about Shivas Haminim, and he doesn't say anything about Peros Yisrael. He just says that, and we'll see why that is in just a moment. He says, the Minag is not too Bishat Ashkenazim, we eat fruit. We eat fruit. 
Okay, so this is the sum total of what the halacha of what the Shulchan Aruch Mishtaburah says about Tu Bishvat. We have to explore a little bit. Because the Shulchan Aruch is like a teaser. Right? It's telling me that there's an element of Yom Tiv, but it's not telling me why there's an element of Yom Tiv. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Actually, a Mishnah. This is the first Mishnah Masechah's Rosh Hashanah. We're not going to go through all of it. I just want to show you two parts. The Mishnah says, Arba Arba Rosh Shanim Heim. There are four new years. Four new years. So again, we're not going to go through all of them. Just skip to the last line, which I bolded. Be'echad Bishvat. On the first of Shvat. Rosh Hashanah le'ilon k'divrei b'shamay b'silol omrim b'chamisha asarbo. So last Rosh Hashanah, the last New Year, is the Rosh Hashanah for trees. And the Mishnah records in Machlokas. When is the Rosh Hashanah for trees? B'shamay says, Rosh Chodesh Shvat. B'shilol says, the 15th of Shvat. Number four. Just a few more sources, then we'll begin to pull this together. The Bartanura says, right, what's the obvious question? What's the obvious question? What's the not so obvious question? Right? What does it mean, Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanos? What, what, I, I skipped it, but you'll notice in the rest of the Mishnah, the New Year's makes sense. The first of Nisan is the New Year for kings. That's how a king goes ahead and counts his reign. Jewish kings count their reigns from the first of Nisan. The first of Elul is Meiser Behema. Right? First of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah, what we call Rosh Hashanah, calendrical Rosh Hashanah. So what does it mean that Tu Bishvat, or the first Hashanah according to Beishamai, is the Rosh Hashanah for Ilanos. So the Bartanura number four says, and we're not going to get too technical with this, I just want to whet your appetite. So the, the Bartanura says in number four, Rosh Hashanah le'ilon, le'inyan maiser peros. Shein ma'asun peros ilon shechantu kodem shvat al shechantu lachashat. Okay, so Hilchas Trumas and Maestros 101. Very simple crash course. Which is, the halacha is, you have to have what we'll call a tithing cohort. So what, what does that mean in English? So in order to go ahead and remove trumas and maestros from a particular crop, that has to be a crop that grew or was harvested or blossomed in the same year. So for example, just, just for illustration's sake, if I have 5782 oranges, right, and 5781 oranges, I can't tithe, I can't take trumas and maestros from my 5781 group from my 5782 group. Okay, so I'm simple. It's much more intricate, but for our purposes tonight, this is fine. So therefore, again, the Bartanura says, well, in order to be able to know which fruit belonged to which cohort, you have to know when the year begins and when the year ends. And therefore, says the Bartanura, that's what the Mishnah is saying. Shvat is the new year for fruits, which means... Any fruits that grew, we're coming up on Tu Bishvat now, so any fruits which grew between Tu Bishvat, we'll just go with Beis, Beis Hill for just a moment, the 15th of Shvat, 5781, to the 15th, or really to the end of the 14th of Shvat, 5782, that's one year's crop. That's one year's crop. And therefore, again, all trumas and maestros for those fruit should be taken from that year's crop. Incredible, no? Fascinating. Riveting, inspirational. I see by the expressions on your faces that you're moved by this, right? So this is very technical. Very, again, so I want to be clear. In an agricultural society, this is important. This is absolutely important. Is there anything here that seems to speak to a dynamic of yomtiv to you? No, not yet, right? In other words, we have a lot of important halacha, a lot of important technical issues, but still, where, wherein lies the element of yomtiv? And I'll tell you something even more amazing about Tu Bishvat. One more piece. If you take a look at number five, 
The Shulchan Aruch says something very interesting. He says, Tzibor Shebikshu Ligzar Tainis Sheni Vechamishi Vesheni. If a tzibor, if a congregation decided to go ahead and declare what we call Bahab fasts, Monday, Thursday, Monday, when would a tzibor declare Bahab fasts? Under what circumstances? Anyone know? Simplest answer? Rain. No rain. Although the Gemara explains it could be for any tzara that comes. But again, no rain. So let's say you have a situation where there's no rain, chas shalom in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore the tzibor has declared a bahab fast. Monday, Thursday, Monday. Upaga betainis tu bishvat. And let's say one of the Mondays or Thursdays happens to be tu bishvat. Hatainis nitcha l'shabes haba. Kadesh lo yegazru tainis betu bishvat. Shurash hashanah li'ilanos. So strange. So if it happens to be that one of the days that you were supposed to fast is Tubishvat, what do we do? We delay the fast until the next week, which is something amazing, right? If you're fasting, what does that mean? If, we're, if a community is observing a Bahab fast, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's a Tzara, right? There's something really significant going on. There's something really serious. And yet here the Shulchan Aruch says, ah, but if Tubishvat falls out, We'll just go ahead and push the fast to the next week. So once again, this highlights the dynamic that Tu B'Shvat has an element of yamtiv, right? So now we have two sources pointing to the fact that Tu B'Shvat is a yamtiv. Number one, we're not saying tachnun. Number two, in the event ultimately that it falls out during Bahab fasting, we'll push off the fast day. But yet we still don't. How are you? We still don't yet know exactly when or why. Tu B'Shvat is considered to be a yamtiv. So I want to share with you something absolutely amazing. Take a look at number six. This is from the Sefer B'nai Yisachar. The B'nai Yisachar was Rav Tzvi Elimelech Shapira of Dinov. So you can see a little bit of his biography over here. Born 1785 and passed away in 1815. I have more sheets if anyone needs. Thank you. So the B'nai Yisachar says something amazing. Look what he writes. Now, we're only going to do the first two lines because then we're going to do the rest of his, rest of his idea, really, Baal Peh. So, Bnei Saskar writes as follows. He says, Tasgil vitisbone. You see, the Bnei Saskar is dealing with this issue. Why is Tu Bishvat considered to be a yamtiv? What is it about this day that is so yamtiv? So, look what he writes. Be'inyan ha'hu ger shebal shamai. So listen to this. The Bnei Saskar says, you want, to know, you want to know the secret of Tu B'Shvat? Do you want to know why Tu B'Shvat has a dynamic of a Yom Tov associated with it? It's all based on the Gemara of Hillel and Shammai and the people who came to convert. Now, you're probably familiar with this story or these stories. Let's take a look at them inside. Take a look at number seven. So this is a beautiful, beautiful Gemara Masech Shabbos. Three stories. Three stories in one Gemara. Let's take a look at them inside because this is really going to serve as the basis for the Bnei Yisachar. So he writes as follows. So seven Aleph. There was once a Gentile, an Anjou, who came before Shammai and he asked Shammai a simple question. Amrlo, kamo toros yesh lochem. He asked Shammai, how many toros do you have? Shammai says, Amrlo shtayim. Toros shebich sav, toros so Shammai says, we have two Torahs. We have a written law, we have an oral law. Torah Shebichsav, Torah Shebapeh. Amr Allah says, this one to get Gentile says, Shebichsav ani ma'aminecha, v'shebapeh eni ma'aminecha. 
I believe, here, so this is, what, this is what the Gentile says to, to Shammai. So see, here's the deal. I want to convert. I'm ready to accept Torah Shavichsav, but I'm not ready to, con- to accept Torah Shabbatah. And the guy literally says to Shammai, convert me only on the condition that I am bound by Torah Shavichsav and not by Torah Shabbatah. What's Shammai's reaction? Garbo v'otzio b'nezifa. Now, Garbar literally means Shammai began to yell at the guy. Right? Shammai yelled at him. He scolded him and he chased him away in a very, in a very abrupt fashion. Okay. Balifne Hillel. So the same guy comes before Hillel. Gairei. Gairei. What Gairei means what? Hillel converted him. Hillel converted him. By the way, there's, there's a lot also in these Gemaras about Hilchaz Geras as well, about how much a person has to accept or how much a person has to know even before converting, but a different topic. In any event, guy comes before Hillel, same thing. I'm going to accept Tar Shavichsav, not Tar Shabbatah. Hillel converts him. Fine, Mazel Tov, he's Jewish. Next day, Yom HaKama Amarle. So now he's coming to learn with Hillel. That was the commitment. I'm going to convert you. But you also have to come and learn with me. And he comes to with Hillel. And what happens? What's the, what's the first lesson on the first day? Hillel teaches him, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalid. Today's lesson, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalid. L'mocher, apichle. The next day, the ger comes back. And what's today's lesson? Today's lesson is Dalid, Gimel, Beis, Aleph. So day number one, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalid. Day two, Dalid, Gimel, Beis, Aleph. Armalei, Vaha, Esmo, Amart, So the Ger says, Bahila, I don't understand, you're confusing me. Two days ago, you told me, or yesterday, you told me, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalid. Today, you're telling me, Dalid, Gimel, Beis, Aleph. So what's going on? So Amralo, Lav, Alai, Didika, Samchis, Da'apet, Nami, Samochalai. The same way that you're going to rely on me to teach you the proper order of the Aleph, Beis, you have to rely on Torah Shabbat Peh to teach you the proper way, to give you the proper prism through which to understand Torah Shabbat Saf. Good. That's story one. Turn the page. Paragraph B, same source. Another story. Great stories. Another story. Shuv There was once another Gentile who came before Shammai. Amr lo, geiraini amanas, shetalamdeni kala Torah kula, kisha'ani omed aregal achos. So all famous stories, right? So the Ger comes before Shammai, he says, here's the deal, I want to convert, convert me on the condition that, I, that you teach me the entire Torah while standing on one foot. So that, what's Shammai's reaction? So quite literally, Shammai chased the guy away with a two by four, right? He had a board in his hand, and right, Shammai, Shammai did not have patience for this kind of stuff, this is ridiculous, you're not genuine, that's not how you convert, that's not how you learn Torah, so Shammai chases him away. Balifne Hillel, guy, same guy comes before Hillel, guy Ray, Hillel converted him, Hillel converted him, and he said, okay, you want to learn Kala Torah Kula while standing on one foot, here it is, Amrlo, Da'alach Sani Lechavercha Lo Savid, that which is despicable to you, do not do unto other people. Zohi kal haTorah kula. That's the entire Torah. Ve'idach anything else perushahu is simply a commentary on that idea. Zil gimar. Now go on, on the rest. Now it's, we have to pause here for just a moment because Hillel's, Hillel's idea is quite profound. You know. We have, we have another version of this Gemara where we have Rabbi Akiva telling us, What's the problem with 
just a little bit of a tangent, but an important one. What's the problem with Viat Lecha Kamocha? No one here has a problem with Viat Lecha I'm so happy I came. I feel inspired by this here. Incredible. What's the problem? I'll tell you. I'm, I'm not one of the Nushan Tzidkaniyos. I'll tell you. What's the problem? So first of all, excellent. Number one, number one, loving someone else presupposes that you love yourself. This is a very important idea. You know, sometimes in Yiddishkeit, we, get, we, we mess up a little bit with the concept of anava. Anava meaning humility. And we often go ahead and confuse humility with low self-worth. Low self-worth is an avera. And it's the worst kind of avera. When a person thinks they're worth nothing, that's not anava. That's not anava. That's low self-esteem. That's poor self-image. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov writes, that's the greatest Yetzirah. Do you know how the Yetzirah, the Satan, gets people to sin? It's not through taiva and it's not through gaiva. It's through low self-esteem. If I think that I'm a nothing, if I really think that I'm a nothing, then who cares what I do or what I don't do? Anava, anava on the other hand, means that what? That I recognize what I am, but I also recognize what I'm not. And I realize that for all of the good things I've done, there's so much more that I can be doing. And for all of the bad things that I've done, there's a lot of good stuff that I'm doing as well, a healthy sense of self. So first of all, you can't love other people if you don't love yourself. And unfortunately, there are many people who are not happy with who they are, who are not content, not comfortable in their own skin. Good. What else is the problem? What else? Right, so first of all, it seems like an impossible thing, right? How can you possibly love another person as much as you would love yourself? In other words, that even on the most basic level, one of the most natural instincts we have is, is preservation, self-preservation, right? There's something, and even in halacha, halacha says, chayecha kodman, your life comes before anyone else's life. Good, so how can you really ever get to that level? Good, what else? So first, right, excellent, excellent, right? The million-dollar question, not just here, but how could you could be commanded to love? Remember, again, this Shiloh, that Shiloh actually begins in a much more fundamental place, which is, Everybody asks, how can you legislate love? You can't legislate emotions. You could legislate behaviors, right? You could tell people they have to show up to a shear, right? You can't tell them to like it. You can't tell them to love it. You could tell people how to behave. You could tell someone to keep Shabbos. You could tell someone to keep Shabbos. But you can't legislate emotions. So excellent. That's a different topic also. I don't want to get on a tangent on the tangent. So we're going to keep the one tangent. Good. But how do you legislate love? Good. What else? What else? There's a simpler one. Such a wonderful group of young women, incredible. Not everyone is lovable. There are some rotten people in this world. There really are. Like, like legitimately, sometimes we think that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like, oh, everybody's good. No, it's not true, by the way. I hate to, I hate to say it. Not everybody's good. I don't mean, I don't mean chas v'shalom, someone who's a Russia. And unfortunately, Klaudi Yisrael has Rishayim, just like every other nation. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm just referring to people. There are some people who are not nice. And there are some people who are toxic personalities. And there are some people who it's just not a good idea to be around them. It's just, it's just, not, it's just not good for me. It's not healthy. So I'm supposed to love that person? So I'm just pointing out, that's why Hillel comes along. And Hillel says, doesn't mean to love people. Because the truth is, for all the reasons you mentioned, you can't legislate love. What if you don't love yourself? Right? Not everybody is lovable. Let's be honest. So therefore, again, Hillel says, you know what it means to love every other Jew? 
it means to refrain from harming people. Whatever you don't want done unto you, don't do to someone else. Which means, don't harm people. You know, there's an interesting shah that comes up in Hilchos Kibod Ava'im, where sometimes a person, you know, not everybody gets along with their parents, and sometimes parents could even have a negative impact on a child. And the postgame are filled with discussions about how does a child interact with a parent who's a negative influence. Chas Shalom, it could happen. What do you do? So it's interesting. Under no circumstances is a child ever allowed to disrespect a parent. That's us, sir. But at the same time, I'm also allowed sometimes, if it needed, to place a little bit of distance, right? To, I guess I can't harm the parent. I can't malign the parent. I can't hurt the parent. But sometimes I go, so that's what Hillel's saying. Hillel says, you want to know Kala Torah Kula? Kala Torah Kula is treat other people the way you want to be treated. Whatever you don't want done unto you, don't do to someone else. That's it. And in Hillel's worldview, that is Kala Torah Kula. Everything else is a parish, is a commentary on that core concept. Good. So therefore, Hillel teaches the Ger, Kala Torah Kula on one foot. Last story, Gimel. Gimel. Shuv ma'iseh benachri echad shaya over achore beis ha'medrish. V'shama kol sofer shaya omer ve'ela ha'begadim ha'shayasu choshen ve'efod. So watch this. Listen to this story. Third story. Third Ger. Third, well, right now he's not here. He's a Gentile. He's walking by the base medrash, and what does he hear? They're learning about the big day kahuna, right? The, the beautiful clothing of the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, and the Ger Pops is the guy, pops his head in the base of medrash, and he says, me, tell me who gets to wear this beautiful clothing. Uh, so Amr Lola, Kohen Gadol. He says, oh, this is the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Amr Osa Nachri listen to this. Elech v'esgayer b'shvil, she is simuni Kohen Gadol. This guy has visions of grandeur, I'm going to convert. Why? I want to become the Kohen Gadol. What an outfit. What an outfit. Right? What a set of clothing. I want to wear that clothing. I'm going to convert. So I could be the Kohen Gadol. Okay? What happens? Balif Nei Shammai. You already know how this is going to end. Right? He comes to Shammai with his vision of grandeur. Amar Gairani Amenashe Tesimeni Kohen Gadol. Convert me Shammai on the condition that I can become the Kohen Gadol. Apparently Shammai was still holding the two by four, right? He was still holding the right, he was still holding the piece of wood. And literally, he chases this guy away with, with, a, with a block of wood. I mean, because Shammai just felt he's so disingenuous, ridiculous. That's not how Geras works. You don't convert. First of all, you can't, you're not really supposed to convert for any ulterior motive, let alone, again, one that is clearly out of reach. Remember, again, understand what's so absurd about this. This is even more absurd than others. Why is this absurd? It's not possible. Remember, again, could you technically learn Kalatara Kula on, uh, on, on one foot? I guess so. I mean, Hillel did it. Hillel taught him Kalatara Kula on one foot. Can you go and accept Horsheb Ixav and not Horsheb Well, you could initially accept one and then later on come to a recognition of the other. But there's absolutely no way you can convert and become the Kohen Gadol. Impossible. Impossible. If you're not part of Shevet Levi, if you're not a descendant of Aaron Cohen, you cannot occupy the position. So Shammai says, get out of here. Get out of here. It's ridiculous. So who does he go to next? Listen to this. Balafne Hillel. Gaire. So ultimately, again, he comes before Hillel and Hillel converted him. Hillel converted him. Good. So the guy's converted. He shows up to Hillel the next day. Okay, let's learn a little bit. And he says as follows. Klum ma'amidin melech el malchus so ultimately, again, Hillel says, fine, you want to be the Kohen Gadol? No problem. Here's what you need to be the Kohen Gadol. You have to learn the Avodah. So open up a Chumash, open up a Mishnayis, open up a Gemara. 
go through all of the avoda, go through all of the avoda, ultimately again about, about the coin Gadol. So what happens? He gets to the Pasuk that says, Vahazar hakarev yumas. Zar literally translates as how? How do you translate that word? Zar? Stranger. The stranger who comes close, a reference to the Kodesh, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, ultimately again will die. So the Ger comes back to Hillel. He says, tell me, who is that Pasuk talking about? And Hillel says, Afilu al David Melech Yisrael. That even if David HaMelech were to enter into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, he would die. Because David HaMelech, as great as he is, David Malka Meshicha, the father of a dynastic monarchy, the father of the messianic line, he is not allowed into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And if he comes in, automatic death. Automatic, immediate death. So the Ger then says, wow, I guess if David HaMelech can't go ahead and become the Kohen Gadol and enter into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, I guess I can't either. I, can't, I guess I can't either. So what happens? If you look at the last couple of lines in paragraph Gimel, Balif Shamai Amarlo, so the guy in this story, interestingly enough, the Ger goes back to Shammai. And he says to Shammai, why didn't you just tell me that I can't be the Kohen Gadol? Right? In other words, you chased me away. You didn't have a conversation with me. Why didn't you just tell me it wasn't possible? Once he saw the Pasuk, once he saw the Pasuk, he says, okay, I can't do it. I can't do it. He comes back to Amr Allah. And the son Hillel Yanucha Lucha Brachos Aroshecha Shehekraftani Tachas Kanfe Ashrina. And the Ger gives Hillel a beautiful bracha. Hillel, your humility, you are so humble. Brachos should rest upon your head because you brought me underneath the Shrina. Look how the Gemara ends. Paragraph Dalid. Liyamim Nizdavgu Shlashtan Lemakomechad. Sometime later, these three guys got together. Did they know each other, not know each other? So remember again, we have the first guy, the first guy who wanted to convert. Who wanted to convert. He right, Shammai, Shammai like screamed at him. He ran away. Hello converted him. Second guy who wanted to learn Kalatar Kula standing on one foot. Hello chased him away with a two by four. Hello, sorry, Shammai chased him away. Hello converted him. And guy number three, our vision of grandeur, this guy, he wanted to be the coin Godal. Shammai chased him away two by four. Hello goes in and converts him. So these three guys get together. Paragraph Dalid. Amru, they said, they, they shared this sentiment. Now, how would you translate the word kaptenuso? A kapton. What's a kapton? I don't know if recognize this word. Like makbid. So kaptenuso, I guess the best way to translate it is the exacting nature. The exacting and unbending nature of Shammai would have removed us from this world. But the humility of Hillel allowed us to convert and allowed us to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So now, an incredible story. If I were to ask you, what was the Machlokes, Hillel and Shammai? What, what was the Machlokes? What would you say? Like, obviously, Hillel and Shammai have two different hashkafas when they're approaching these situations. So what is what we call the Nekudas HaMachlokis? What is their point of contention? What, how do you understand the difference in approach between Hillel and Shammai in all three of these stories? What would you say? Right, that could be that. Would be right, contemporarily we would say correct, right? One a bit more Litvish, one a bit more Hasidish. Absolutely good. What else? Any other thoughts? 
Oh, beautiful. Absolutely. A year in Ava distinction again. And by the way, that distinction also is very often seen in the distinction between Hillel and Shammai. Absolutely. Absolutely good. What else? What else? So perhaps there's a fundamental machlokis as follows. You see, when these three guys come before Shammai, Shammai sees them for how they present. He looks at them through the prism of their words. Hillel looks for the deeper meaning, looks for the she'ifos. What are they yearning for? You know, often in life, there's what people say and there's what they mean. And it's very difficult sometimes when people say one thing, but you think they mean something different. So Hillel and Shammai have two different ways of interacting with people. Shammai is like, listen, I'm going to take you at your word. You want to learn Kalatara Kula standing on one foot? That's ridiculous. Get out of here. You want to be the coin Gadol? That's ridiculous. Get out of here. You want Torah Shabbat Chsav, not Torah Shabbat Ridiculous. Get out of here. And what does Hillel see? Hillel looks beneath the words to understand what is the Bakasha? What is it that this person is actually looking for? So think about for just a moment. Let's work backwards. When a guy comes along and says, a gentile, I want to be the coin Gadol, right? So you could look at that statement in two ways. You could look at it as saying, ah, this guy is just in it for the covet. He just wants the covet. He wants the clothing. He wants, what's the position? Or how else can you look at it? How else can you look at it? How else? High, lofty spiritual goals. Maybe he just wants so much out of life that he doesn't just want to be a regular person. Do you know sometimes the worst thing we do is we settle for being regular. We settle for being mediocre. We settle for being okay. A Jew is not okay. A Jew is great. And so when this guy comes and he says to Hillel, I want to be the Kohen Gadol, as much as Hillel's thinking, like, what a shemendrik, right? Who is this guy? What does he think? He's going to be the Kohen Gadol. But look deeper. What is he really saying? What is he really trying to say? What he's saying is, I yearn and I pine for spiritual greatness. And when the guy comes along and says, teach me kala Torah kula on one foot. Again, Shammai sees ridiculous. You're looking for shortcuts. But what else could it mean? What else could it mean? Once again, such a desire to absorb as much knowledge as I can, as quickly as I can. Such an insatiable and unquenchable thirst. I want it all and I want it now. And when the guy comes along and says, I'll take Torah Shabbat Chsav, the Torah Shabbat Peh. So Shammai sees that, you're not committed. And how does Hillel see it? How does Hillel see it? What do you think Hillel would say in that case? I'm sorry. First of all, excellent. You're halfway there. Right? Wow. Wow. He's already committed to Torah Shabbat Peh, to Torah Shabbat Chsav. That's incredible. You know what else he can represent? Fear. That's sometimes when people want to undertake new things. We're scared. We're scared of a lot of things. We're scared of failure. We're scared. Sometimes people are even scared of accomplishment, but we're scared. Whenever you embark upon something new and you realize that there's a massive task in front of you, it's normal to get nervous. And maybe when he says, I'll take Torah Shabbat Peh, he's not rejecting or repudiating Torah Shabbat Peh. He's saying that, I'm just, I'm scared. I know that I want to do this, but I'm really scared. The B'nai Yisachar says something so beautiful. He says, herein lies the machlokes, Beishamai and Beishilel. Beishamai, looks at these people as they present. This is how they present. This is how I gauge the situation. Beis Hillel says, there's got to be something deeper. 
behind each of these statements, there's a person, there's greatness that is yearning to come out. And if you just open the door, if you just give them the chance, they'll pull through. Who was right? Who was right? Hillel, right? Hillel was right. Because at the end of the day, remember again, what's the end of the story? All three of these guys converted, and they became upstanding members of Klal Yisrael, right? And they're getting together. I don't want to tell you something else. Do you want something amazing? Who says in the Mishnah, Shammai. Incredible, no? Absolutely incredible. So I saw Rabbi Saul Meir Lau has a beautiful, beautiful parish on Pirkei Avos, and he posits that Shammai said that after this episode. That ultimately Shammai realized his approach was incorrect. His approach was incorrect. Had Hillel not stepped in and saved these three neshamas, they would have been lost to Klal Yisrael forever. And it's at that moment that Shammai changes his approach. Heavy Mechabalists call Adam the Seder Panim Yavos. No matter how crazy the statement may sound, no matter how crazy the approach may be, at the end of the day, give people a chance. Because what they say may not fully represent ultimately what they're really trying to get across. So now watch this. Let's tie this back. So says the Bnei Saskar, let's go back for just a moment. If you remember again back in source number three, we had a machlokas between Beishamai and Beisilel about the Rosh Hashanah Ilanos, right? So the machlokas, Shammai said, it's the first of Shvat, and Hillel said, it's two Bishvat, the 15th of Shvat. So watch this. How do we paskin? Okay, I know this, little, right? this, is, this, this is an easy one. How do we paskin? Like Beisilel, like two Bishvat. So watch this. Watch this. So what we're doing over is first of all, well, take a look. One, two more sources and we'll pull it all together. Take a look at number eight. The Torah says, this is in Chumash Tavarim, totally unrelated topic. The topic over here under discussion is you're, you're going out to war. You're going out to war and you're laying siege to an enemy city. So the Torah says, if you're going to go ahead and lay siege to a city, do not destroy the trees unnecessarily. Excuse me, unnecessarily, number eight. Now the truth is, this is actually a rhetorical question. The Torah says, don't cut down un- the trees unnecessarily because is the tree your enemy? Is the tree a combatant that you have to go ahead and chop it down? But Chazal understand that in that phrase, is a very profound statement that man is like a tree. Human beings are like trees. Now, there's an obvious comparison to the tree, which is how trees have roots, trees have branches, trees have fruit. People have roots, right? Your roots represent where you come from. Your branches ultimately represent your accomplishments. And the peros represent the ways in which you try to change the world. So, Adam eats hasada. The tree has roots, branches, fruit. I have roots, hopefully I could create branches, and hopefully I could create fruit. But look, okay, so now we have Adam Eitz Asada. Adam Eitz Asada. So man is a tree, which already tells me that somehow Tu Bishvat is connected to me in some way, shape, or form. Tu Bishvat is the Rosh Hashanah Li'ilanos. And by the way, I'll point out to you something very interesting. If, well, actually, before I point it out. So Rosh Hashanah, right? Tu Bishvat is Rosh Hashanah Li'ilanos. Man is an Eitz, man is an Elon. What happens on Tu Bishvat? Anyone here ever noticed you saw during Tu Bishvat? Yeah? What's different when you go outside on Tu Bishvat? What's different? Nothing. Except, of course, Hashkedia Porachat, which I'm not going to sing for you, right? But it's actually interesting. The only thing you find different in Eretz Yisrael and Tu Bishvat is, are really the almond trees, right? It's not just the song. It's actually true. Hashkedia Porachat. That's, that, that, that's about it. 
So why, why Tu Bishvat? Why is Tu Bishvat at the end of the day, this Rosh Hashanah Ilanos, when you go outside and nothing is different in the external world? Look at number nine. Then we'll tie this all together. So the Gemara says, My time, Amr Rabbi Lazar, Amr Oshia, Afa Pisharov, Tok Fami Bachutz, Hoel Vyatsarov Gishmishana. Because by the time you get to Tubishvat, the overall majority of rain has already fallen. Says Rashi, and therefore what number 10? Shekvar Avar Rov Hagishamim Shuzman Revia, the Allah Hasraf Bi'ilanos. Says Rashi. Do you want to know what's unique about Tubishvat? You know what's happened? You look outside, you look outside, and what? Nothing looks different, but it'll give you an interesting idea. If you were to go ahead and cut open a tree, you would find something absolutely amazing, which is the sap is rising through the trunk of the tree. The sap is surging. Now, what's the sap? Right? The sap is the very vitality of the tree. It's the elixir of life for the tree. It's the vitality of the tree. The sap is what gives the tree the koach to sprout forth leaves, to sprout forth fruit, and comes to Bishvat because the rain has already finished. Most of the rain has finished. The sap is surging up inside of the tree. And now we could begin to put this all together. Why is Tu Bishvat a significant day on a halachic level? Trumas and Maestros, right? First of the year for the Trumas and Maestros new cohort. Good. But there's a connection to me. What's the connection to me? I want to point out something amazing. If you notice, I'm just going to cause you to go back just one more moment. Take a look at number three. Let me show you something very amazing. Look at, look at the Mishnah again once more quickly. Rosh Abraham, there are four new years. Be'echa Benisan, Be'echa Benisan, Rosh Hashanah Lemelochim, Melacha means, Melacha means, kings, regalim, right, yamim tovim, good, we're not going to get into that right now, right, ultimately again, Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, Becha Betishrei, Rosh Hashanah, Lashanim, Shanim, years, Shemitin, Yovlos, Natiliakos, Becha Bishvat, Rosh Hashanah, Le'ilon, what's different about the verbiage by Tu Bishvat than by the other Rosh Hashanah? Excellent, singular. If you notice something absolutely amazing, that it's plurals used in almost every other part of the Mishnah. On Echad Benisan, it doesn't say Rosh Hashanah Lemelech, Lemelachim. Echad Betishrei, Rosh Hashanah Lishanim. Yet when it comes to Tu Bishvat, it's Rosh Hashanah Le'ilan, for the tree. Who's the tree? Or what's the tree? And the Bashem Tavak Kodesh Kodesh, the Bnei Yisachar brings this down also, that it's telling me, the Mishnah's telling me, that Rosh Hashanah is not just an arboreally significant day. It's not just a Rosh Hashanah, ultimately, again, for the agricultural trees, but it's a Rosh Hashanah for the tree as well, for me. Kia Adam eats Hasada. Now, what does that mean? Still, I don't understand. So what's happening? What's happening on Tu Bishvat in the trees, in the actual physical trees? The sap of vitality, the sap of potential, that very sap that is going to produce such beauty, hod vahadr in the tree, is inside of it, yearning to come out. And therefore, again, says the Bnei Yisachar so beautifully, there's a machlokas beshamay and beshilal. When is Tu Bishvat? We paskin like beshilal. Or when is, when is, when is Rosh Chod Barshanalilanos? We pass like beshilal. That is Tu Bishvat. But says the Bnei Yisachar, we don't just pass like beshilal in terms of the date. We also pass like beshilal in terms of life. And beshilal says, how do you look at other people? By looking at their potential. And how do you look at yourself? By ultimately trying to figure out what your potential is. On Tu Bishvat, which is the day when the trees are filled with sap and filled with potential. It's also the day that I introspect and I look inward and I recognize one fundamental truth. I have sap. 
I have sap. I am filled with potential. I have so much I can accomplish. I have so much I can be. But look at me. But look at me. I don't feel so tired. I feel so drawn. I'm this. I don't feel like I have that much potential. I kind of feel ordinary. And you know what? It's interesting. Because if you look outside, you're in on two bishads. What do the trees look like? What do the trees look like? Let's be honest. What do they look like? They look more dead than alive. That's the truth. They look more dead than alive. Yet, I know that inside of those dead-looking trees is surging the very sap of vitality. Sometimes in life, I don't look so great either. I'm not talking about anyone's external appearance. Sometimes in life, I just, I'm not really living the life I should be living. And I'm not really doing the things that I should be doing. And I'm not operating on all cylinders. I'm just, I'm not maximizing my potential. And sometimes I look a little bit like that lifeless tree. It's true. Sometimes I'm blossoming and everything is great. And sometimes I just look like that tree that sits in your backyard in the dead of winter that looks so nebuchal, right? Nothing there, nothing going on. And you're wondering, is it ever going to come back to life? And it comes to Bishvat and it reminds us that just like when the trees outdoors look half dead, the sap is surging through them and they are right about to experience a renaissance, right about to experience a rebirth. Man is the same thing. We are the same way. That even in times in life where I look down and out, and even in times in life where I feel down and out, the sap of vitality is surging inside of me. Potential runs through my veins. I just have to make the conscious decision to access the sap. I just have to make the conscious decision to tap into my potential. Because we pass in like Beis Hillel. We shouldn't look at ourselves based on how we present externally. And we shouldn't just look at ourselves simply again by measuring some external behaviors. But ultimately, again, we need to look at ourselves for who we are on a deeper level. The same way that Hillel looked at those three gerim, not through the, just the simple meaning of their words, but through the deeper meaning of their requests, of their questions. It's not just how you relate to others. It's how I have to relate to myself as well. And perhaps this is why Tu B'Shvat is a yamtiv. It's not a yamtiv for the trees out there. It's a yamtiv for the tree in here. It's a yamtiv for me because as nature is renewing, I have the ability to tap into that koach of renewal as well. As nature, which looked half dead for the last number of months, has sap of vitality surging through the trunk, surging through the branches, now also I could feel the sap of potential bubbling up inside of me. But it's interesting because it's only a little bit of a yamtiv. Why is it such a great thing that as nature is renewing itself, that I could renew myself as well? Shouldn't it be a bigger yamtiv? Why is it only a little yamtiv? Why? Because you have to do something about it. Because at the end of the day, Halacha is like a little bit scared. You have so much potential. But are you going to tap into it? Because Tu Bishvat could come and go, and I never try to find my sap. Tu Bishvat comes and goes, and I never try to introspect and figure out what could I do to be better, to live better, to become the best version of myself? So therefore, the halacha says you don't say tachnun. Right? And if you're Ashkenazic, you'll eat a couple of fruit, right? a few pieces of fruit. But that's it. It's, it's not a full-blown yamtiv. Why? Because, you see, if you think about the other yamim tovim, let me ask you this. If you do absolutely nothing on Pesach, is it still Pesach? 
Yes. Right? If you do nothing on Shavuos, nothing on Sukkot, even nothing on Hanukkah, nothing on Purim, it's still Yom Tiv, whether you do anything or not. Tu B'Shvat's not like that. Tu B'Shvat is only a real Yom Tiv if you choose to access the sap of your potential. But if I choose to ignore that sap and just go on leaving, leading a life of mediocrity, not bad, not good, just mediocre, or just kind of going through the motions, then it's not a Yom Tiv. Then it's just another day. It'll be a day without Tachanun, but just another regular day. And herein lies the incredible and beautiful Koach of Tu B'Shvat. As nature renews itself with its sap, it looks the same on the outside, but I know that sap is surging on the inside. We have the ability to mamish do the same thing. And all of us have the sap. We all have it. You know, sometimes we just get like into the rhythms of our lives. And so rhythm, rhythm sometimes is a good thing and schedule sometimes is a good thing. But you know, it's interesting. In Hasidus, it's not just in Hasidus, Ramchal talks about it also, the concept of his bodidus, right? And the concept of breaking away from your regular schedule in life to spend just a few moments with yourself, by yourself, and with the Ribbon Shalom. You know, you ever wonder to yourself, what was David HaMelech's career aspiration with this all end? What was his career aspiration? What did David HaMelech want to do for a living when he grew up? Yes, little David. Little David, what do you want to do when you grow up? What would he have said? A shepherd. Good. And if you ask Avram Avinu, Avram, right? What do you want to do when you grow up? Avram Avinu would have said? Shepherd, right? And it's almost, and Yitzchak Avinu, and Yaakov Avinu. You ever wonder, like, why does everybody want to be a shepherd? I don't know. Like, I have a desire to do a lot of things in life. Shepherding is not on my bucket list at all. Why, why was it the desired profession of the great tzaddikim? It's very simple. Because you know what the great part about being a shepherd is? You're left alone. No one talks. Because remember, where, where are you in a shepherd? You're out with the field. You're out with your flock. There's a profundity in that. David Amalekh just wanted to be with the Ribbon Shalom, and the sheep don't talk back. They might not go ahead and take orders all the time, but they never really give you a hard time. They don't yell at you, right? They don't speak disrespectfully to you. They're, they're just animals, so you can even forgive their transgressions very easily. David Amalekh wanted that. Avinu wanted that. Everybody just wanted just to be left alone and introspect and connect with the Ribbon Shalom. Baruch has great plans for people like that. He doesn't let them be alone. He wants them to engage. He wants them to change. And so often in life, we have the same thing. I'm not suggesting a life of shepherding for anyone. But at the end of the day, we get so caught up in our day-to-day lives that we forget to think about the important things. You know, and, the impo- and there are many important things. So often you talk about, what are the important things? Well, the important things are, you know, shiduchim and college and this and that. And those are all important things. But there's another very important thing, which is who you are as a person. What your identity is. Who are you? Who are you? And who are you not defined, not defined by where you take your college classes and not defined by where you went to seminary and not defined by which base Yaakov you went to or not defined by where your family davins, but to ask, who am I? Who am I as a person, right? If I were writing a real resume, I don't mean like the kind of resumes we use today, but a real resume, if I wanted to give someone a description, a portrayal of who I am, who am I at my core? What are my midos tovos? What are the good parts? What are the struggles? What are the things that are working? What are the things that are not working? And so often you'd be surprised, we just don't pay attention to these things. We get so caught up in the labels that everyone and everything else places on us that we forget to work on the most important label. And the most important label is me. 
who am I? Just who am like, What is my identity? Because unless I can figure that out, I'm not going to be successful in life. And Tu Bishvat offers us the opportunity to remake that label. Tu Bishvat offers us the opportunity to dig into our personalistic sap, to reaccess our potential, and to remake ourselves. Sometimes you have to remake yourself. Sometimes you just have to tweak. Sometimes you just have to change. Sometimes I have to better modify. Sometimes I do have to remake myself. But that is the Kalach of Tu Bishvat. So we should be Zilcha Mirz Hashem. That on this coming Sunday night, Monday, nature will renew itself. Whether you see it or not, it's happening. It's happening. You could try it out. I mean, it won't work in the trees in America. But in Eretz Yisrael, you could try it, right? The sap is there. The sap is there. Nature is renewing. You see nothing different on the outside. But inside, olam hafuchos. Inside, the world is turning upside down. Inside, the sap is flowing. The sap is surging. Tu bishvat is the yomtiv of Beis Hillel. Tu bishvat is the yomtiv. We're just like nature's renewing internally. We have the ability to do the same. So we should be zolchem yaretz Hashem to find our sap. We should be zolchem yaretz Hashem to access our potential. We should be zolcha to look inside of ourselves and see how great each of us already is and how much greater we have the capacity to become. And in yaretz Hashem, as the trees begin to flourish, bear their leaves and bear their fruits, we should be zolchem yaretz Hashem to flourish and continue to flourish for many years to come. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you.